Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Technology co-founder Matthew McDonald is no stranger to rapid change. He joined a startup weekend event, met some contractors there with an idea to change construction equipment rental industry, and built a prototype, booking their first validation client that same weekend. When a friend suggested they apply to YCOM, Matthew admits he blew off the idea at first. After deciding to go through with it, his co-founders and he were shocked to be accepted and moved together to California after having only known each other for six weeks. Fast forward to present day, and equipment share is 300 plus employees strong. Having built a powerful online and offline business, Matthew's personal story is compelling. He had the personal awareness and fortitude to work with a mentor after having grown the team to 11 as the founding CTO and admitting he just didn't like the leadership seat. He stepped down and continues to make critical contributions as principal engineer. The story of that process is inspiring on so many levels. will be instructive to any engineer who questions the standard leadership path. Hey, Matthew, great to have you, man. Thanks for uh, joining the show. Hey, Ledge. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Would you give your you know, two or three minute intro story just for, for the audience to, to get to know you a little bit? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, from the Midwest. I uh, went to University of Missouri. Um, worked for a online mortgage company um, for several years out there. Um, did a little bit of consulting afterwards. Um, and um, at a startup weekend event, I bumped into um, these uh, this, this group of contractors that had this burning desire to um, change how equipment rental worked. And um, it was just a really compelling problem. And we ended up uh, finding, like actually making a sale uh, for placing a, a skid loader on rent over the weekend um, during that event. Um, and it was, you know, great, great validation. And so we kind of kept working on it. And a few weeks after that, um, one of uh, my previous coworkers, uh, Wade Foster, who actually ended up going on to be one of the founders of Zapier, um, convinced us to apply to Y Combinator, um, which is they went through that program as well. Um, and I kind of wrote it off and I was like, ah, Y Combinator, that's, you know, that's something for Silicon Valley people. That's not something that, you know, construction tech companies in the Midwest, it's not really for them, um, which I was wrong. Um, but we applied, got into um, much to our surprise. Um, and uh, a few weeks after that, um, I gave notice of my, my consulting job that I was going to quit. 
Um, and uh, this was all happening right as my uh, wife had taken a job to move us out to Maine. Um, and so our engineering team was remote from day one. And I was, you know, jumping in headfirst um, and doing it with these uh, these other people that I had only known for, um, I think, a month and a half at, at that point. Um, but they had just totally convinced me that they were um, some of the most genuine, hardworking people that I'd, I'd ever met. Um, so um, after that, we, we went through Y Combinator. Um, Originally, we were very peer-to-peer, -peer, much like uh, Airbnb, where we'd link up a contractor that owns uh, a machine like a bulldozer and one that wants to rent a machine. Um, and we'd just kind of like put them in touch and have them figure out the logistics of it. Um, that went really poorly um, just because of communication issues where, you know, think of your real uh, terse communicating um, contractor and you, you write them like a two-paragraph email uh, detailing a specific problem and you get an answer and the answer is yes. I was like, well, it wasn't a yes or no question. Um, but that just co compounded with the fact that they've got their own really chaotic businesses and they don't have time to do logistics for someone else's contracting company on top of that. Um, so we fairly quickly figured out that we have to have centralized rental yards. Um, and so that means that if you are lending machines out on our platform, then they get dropped up in the yard. Our mechanics uh, service them, maintain them. Um, our delivery drivers can facilitate deliveries. Um, and it, it just lets us uh, control things and make sure that um, the customer gets uh, a really good experience all around from, from first contact to final delivery to billing to everything. Um, because it, it, was, it was really important for everything to be consistent and better than competition in pretty much every way. Um, in the construction industry, it's, it's pretty conservative about making changes in, in your choices. And if, if something goes wrong and someone gets burned trying, you know, this new startup for, for something, they're probably not going to give you much of a second chance. Um, so after we, we pivoted to that, that centralized model, uh, we started to open up um, new yards. And um, the next thing we realized is that we just couldn't do this without uh, accurate and up-to-date information on where the equipment is and how it's being used. And so we tried to reuse um, other companies' telematic services, um, weren't happy with the quality of, of the data that we were able to get um, and the fact that we were relying on their other services whenever there was you know downtime or outages and things like that. Um, so we actually uh, built our own telematic service from the ground up um, and uh, so now we can tell where everything is, how it's being used. We can actually look at like engine failure codes. Um, our uh, our data science team is working on the ability to predict when machines are about to fail but haven't fully broken down yet. So we can dispatch texts, get them out there on site, and minimize the downtime. Um, so it, at this point, it we've kind of uh, added several more products along the way that all of them have like a ton of synergy. Um, so we have like an insurance company that. Uh, we can look at where the machines are, how they're being used. If they're on a rental, we know that it's uh, insured by another company. So, you know, it's uh, the, the risk profile changes a bit. Um, so all, all of our things are, are it all comes back to um, that, that accurate data on where things are, how they're being used. Um, and it all ties back into the needs of uh, the construction companies. That's so interesting like all the you know it's all the business stuff that goes in you kind of think like oh we're a SaaS company you know we are we do technology and and then like so you know business gets in the way and and all that stuff now off off mic before 
I thought this was really interesting. You know, you and I were talking uh, just about your own journey, you know, and uh, from, from founder to, you know, um, in the engineering scale of, of you just as like a massive startup on a, on a, you know, vertical growth curve. Love if you tell that story. Cause I think, I think a lot of the audience will resonate with it. Sure. Um, so this was definitely my first, uh, first time even leading a, a small team. Um, so starting out, I was the CTO and co-founder and, um, was building a team around that. And, um, if there's one thing that I think I, I, did really well at the beginning. It was to surround myself by with people that are better than me in some way that always added to the team and, and brought something new that would raise the team up. But um, one thing that I um, realized is that while I was having a ton of fun um, when the team was smaller, up to around ten or twelve people, um, once we we kind of hit an inflection point and we grew the team from I think it was like eleven to thirty five in a period of four or five months. And uh, when that happened. Um, everything just radically changed. So processes uh, broke down. Any, anything that worked really smoothly for a team of 10 just did not handle a team of, of 35. Um, there were more products that were, ha- that were being built. Inter-team communication wasn't going well. Um, and uh, at, at the end of the day, um, if you're the CTO, you are responsible for everything at, you know, you're, you're, the, the buck stops with you from the technology side. Um, and I found myself in a position where I was responsible for everything, but I, I didn't have the skills or the know-how or the ability to um, influence things in the right direction um, when, when I, I saw that there was a change that, that, needed, to be, that needed to be made. Um, and sometimes I just didn't realize that there was a change that needed to be made because I didn't have that particular skill set. Um, so what I, what I found was happening is that I was becoming more and more unhappy because people would have, have problems. And when there was someone that I was responsible for supporting, uh, I would, I would fixate on that. And if someone let me know they were unhappy, um, I would be unhappy until I was able to resolve whatever their problem was. And that, that can kind of work when you have a small team. Um, but when you have a team of 35 people, I can guarantee you, every single day, there's going to be someone that's unhappy about something, even if it's something small and trivial. And so I I started taking that stress home with me. I was unhappy in my personal life. And basically what what happened is uh, one of my other co-founders came to me and he was like, hey, do you want to do this? Um, Like, and the, you know, I had to stop and think about it because it was just like, it had never even crossed my mind that it didn't have to be me because that was just the role that I was in at the beginning. And this, this is me. I'm the CTO. This, this is my job. Um, and that's just that expectation that you, you just grow into it and you, you continue on and, and that's just what you do. Um, and I, I'm incredibly thankful that, uh, that he approached me about it. Um, because like now I, I realize, and well, it didn't take long really for me to realize that, Hey, I actually don't like what I'm doing at all. And uh, no, I, I don't want to continue doing this. And so I, I kind of um, sidestepped and I guess abdicated the managerial and morale and, and leadership um, responsibilities and you know, just focused entirely on uh, the technical side of things. So my official title now is, is principal engineer, which um, basically means that I you know, 
guide the technical direction for a couple of different projects and sometimes am you know heavily involved in spinning up a, a new project or or team or something like that getting them going and then uh kind of onto whatever the next big need is yeah i mean i love the personal and like psychological awareness necessary and, and also the humility to you know just sort of step back and just kind of be like you know i know what i like to do and and this isn't it and you know that it so often takes that you know or peer or like mentor like kind of person to just you know kind of shake you a little bit <laughs> you know which which seat do you do you love and and why do you love it what was the transition like you know because your your fellow engineers right would kind of experience you in a different way and, and how did you message that because i think you know some people like there'd be like a pride component it'd be hard to communicate that i just wonder how you dealt with that yeah so i mean the there definitely was you know an aspect of pride like i i didn't realize how much pride i had uh at that that position or that level um and until we were kind of discussing how to go about it because you know that that was the next thing that we discussed once we realized no i'm not going to continue doing this was how do we make sure that everyone understands that this is a good thing this is you know smooth and it, it's not like uh i don't know a, a catastrophic or a shocking change or, or anything like that um and uh I, I think it was probably easier for people to understand because i think at, at that point, probably a third of the people had been around and, and worked really closely with me. And they, I suspect that they knew that I, I wasn't the, the happiest uh, about, about a lot of things. Um, but I essentially had one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations with everyone on the team and just kind of, um, for, for most of them, uh, I would try to meet up in, in town locally, whichever city they were in, and um, just go for a walk, talk about, hey, this is... Um, this is what's going on. Uh, explaining to them that I, I told the same, this almost that, that exact same story, basically word for word, to you know thirty plus people, um, and just it, it told them that hey, I'm 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 really not happy with what I'm doing. Here's what we're gonna here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna um, we're gonna kind of have those uh, responsibilities go to uh, Willie, my co-founder, for a while. He's an incredibly good person for uh, dealing with people and, and emotional issues and um that he's extraordinarily good at that um and then uh this is also, also kind of tied with me taking a vacation uh for a bit um and we're also going to start looking for a, a director um to come in and more formally take up that that particular role of um, engineering management um, so as the principal engineer then do you are you able to you sort of not have to deal with any of the the people issues and you can really stay say focus on technology and how does that you know impact the like you know communication stuff are you able to just go hey you know i don't, I don't want to talk about your feelings you know like i, I really just want to code <laughs> i mean how does that really shake out um, that that is not how it works out at all um, <laughs> there you know every every project every team every product involves people if you're going to try to not you know, interact with humans, you're, you're probably going to have a bad time. Um, you know, it, it's definitely a lot less in that I, the, the number of people that I am, am supporting is, is a lot lower. Um, and while I interact with a lot of people across a lot of different teams, um, it's, it's much more focused on like, 
hey, I'm working on this project. Uh, this is this is a goal. These are the side effects that I expect um, will potentially affect the systems that you work on a lot. And how can we come to a you know an agreement on uh, the the best way to proceed with that? Um, so I am that I guess the biggest change is that I am not the person that people go to. Um, if they have like either a personal issue or a team issue or just they're dissatisfied with something or yeah, um, in any type of like personnel issues or whatever, um, they generally only come to me now if it's an issue, um, with like a technical solution or they have a question about why something was done in the way it was done, uh, or they want me to, you know, look over their proposal for, for something and give them feedback. So, I mean, you've got this story, right? You know, the unexpected startup weekend, you know, startup actually takes off and, and YCOM comes in and, you know, it's, and then, wow, things take off. And before you know it, you're scaling like crazy. I mean, that's sort of like the romanticized startup story, right? You know, that, that people kind of aspire to. And I just wonder, like, what are the learnings from there? Because, you know, it's, it's not all the romance. And, uh, you know, so careful what you wish for. And here's what I wish I knew going in because it is a success story. And, and you know, you know, you own a, a piece of something, you know, extraordinary. So, but you know, what, what, what's like both sides of the coin and what do you wish you knew then? So I guess, first of all, like I was probably the most pessimistic of, of all of the co-founders that, that it would be the success that it is and, you know, could very likely turn into. Um, and I think part of that was just because I, I just had this idea that uh, that just wasn't something that was going to happen to me. It just you know seems like a crazy thing. Um, I mean, we've we've always focused on what is you know what, what is the biggest problem that's that's blocking us from from getting to the next level. Um, just all, always focusing on identifying what the what the bottleneck bottleneck is immediately. And obviously you want to have some site down the line so you don't, you know, box yourself into a corner, but that that's actually one of the, probably one of the best lessons that we learned in Y Combinator was how to identify what's critically important uh, and needs to be focused on right now and what can be either sidestepped or delayed or, you know, just put on the back burner for a while. What's it like dealing with a customer base that, you know, is just like, whoa, not technical, right? I mean, you know, that's just not what they do. So, I mean, you have to really abstract that, I imagine, quite a bit of that experience, like in, in sort of the customer empathy kind of way, because like you said, they, they just aren't going to deal with that. But you are providing like a critical service because I'm, I've seen where, you know, renting equipment is expensive and difficult and it breaks down and, you know, it's just like, what do you do? So, I mean, folks are depending on these this ability and, and you really are opening up a, a market that, that helps the individual a lot, but you know, what's it like dealing with that customer base? Yeah. So in the construction industry, there's usually a very low margin. And so if, if there's a delay on the project and timelines, you know, slide, um, there can be some clauses and contracts that, that have time penalties for delays. And so your project that had a 3% margin, if, if a couple of things go wrong and they cascade, then you can end up working for no money after, you know, eight months or a year or something like that. Um, so it is really important to, to be able to deliver what you promise. From a design perspective, um, 
we've gotten a whole lot better about um, designing UIs that that work for our customers and not making assumptions based on you know what we think. A lot of the original UI was uh, designed by myself or other developers that weren't really designers, and you know, they were they were not great. I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, our our audience is definitely. Um, not the most tech savvy, sometimes tech averse. We've got a lot of uh, people that, you know, they, they use flip phones and uh, just they, they don't. I, I remember a direct quote from an early customer where we tried to sign them up um, and we were onboarding them. We're like, well, what's, what's your email? Like, cause we had a, a required constraint uh, that you have to have, an e have to have an email in the system. And uh, it was, um, it was this old timer and he got uh, a little crass with us and I think, a, a direct quote from that conversation was, I don't have email and I don't want email. Um, and that, that's just the type of people that, that we're, we're dealing with. Um, so now, I don't know if I would say we do the best job because there's always room for improvement, but I, I do, th I'm, I'm really proud of how our team comes up with its, its designs um, through, through working with, with customers and our employees because we employ a lot of people on the service side, uh, mechanics, delivery drivers, and so we, we dog food all of our own software. So almost everything that um, our end customers use, we're also using for something internally. So we have uh, Slack channels that, that, are, that, that are populated with engineers and uh, product people and delivery drivers and mechanics and, and everyone from the operation side. And they know that when they have uh, a problem or a question, they will jump into that, that Slack channel and we're able to uh, respond really quickly and help them. And so, sometimes it's just, uh, you know, a training issue. Like we rolled out a feature and didn't do a great job of informing people ahead of time that this is how you need to do this, this task. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, a bug. We released something, didn't catch an error, or there's uh, we maybe we'll onboard a branch that uh, our standard operation flow doesn't fit with them. So like down in uh, Midland, Texas, there's a lot of oil work and just the, the whole sales cycle works completely differently than our other branches and so we actually had to change some of our business rules to, to reflect that but, um, a lot of times we actually will get comments from our operations uh, employees that um, they, they're kind of like blown away because they've never worked for a company where they're so uh, listened to and you know not more so than just like oh yeah i hear you that's you know that sucks but you got to do it but we'll actually like turn around and deliver new features for them very very quickly uh, we have a, an all hands company meeting once a month and our ceo jabek uh, has his cell phone number and email address on one of the slides and he always just hits home and talks about if you have a problem you go to him um that obviously we don't want everyone calling him all the time for any little thing that happens. But if, if you have an idea for an improvement or an efficiency or, Hey, there's just this, this broken process and it's really painful to keep on continuing the way it is. Like we want to hear about it and we want to fix it and make, make things smoother. So last question, you know, I'm just, I'm curious, how do you deal with, uh, you know, so you were, you talked about being remote from day one and you know, what are the, what are the things that make that work? I mean, you could probably take it for granted, right? That you've always done it that way. And, and I can tell you that I, you know, I deal with, with more people that are really struggling to think about like the new world. It's like, geez, like, like 
everything from our environment to the way we communicate to, you know, just all the little details of working together in an office, the hiring environment now just doesn't support it. We need more engineers and there just aren't any more engineers. So we need to go remote and we aren't prepared for that. You know, any thoughts on like, all right, you know, how to restart, if you will, and, and build um, a remote engineering culture that works. I think it's really difficult to have a hybrid remote environment. Um, if you have, you know, 80% of the team in an office and 20% of people working from home, those people are going to get excluded from a ton of information just from water cooler conversations or people chatting or hanging out, discussing things, not in Slack channels or emails or, or whatever you're using to communicate with things. And those people are, they're, they're going to miss out on critical information and, it, it's going to be very frustrating for them. I think that if you're going to have a successful remote team, then it, it probably needs to be remote first. And even if you have an office and have people in the office, then everyone needs to be on board with the idea of communicating using the same channels uh, by default. So we have uh, offices in, in Columbia and Kansas City and we do have some people that they work in the office every day because they just enjoy having more separation or they just don't have a good place to work at home or whatever reason they, they just prefer to do that. And, you know, even if they've got two people there on the same team in the same office, they, they're usually going to communicate with each other over Slack or over Zoom or, or whatever uh, digital medium uh, that the team is, is using for something. And that, that I think helps with a, a lot of the issues. Um, I do think it it can it can be hard to convert a team from in person to remote. I think that's that's a hard thing to do unless you have really good buy-in from everyone. Um, I think the other big thing is when we're we're hiring people, uh, you know, we, we're generally going to be a little uh, skeptical if we're trying to hire someone for who, who is fully remote and they've never worked remote before and they're more junior on the skill side. I think you can, if someone is uh, really experienced, they can probably figure out their remote side or if they're experienced in working remote and more junior on the skills that can, that can kind of work. But uh, we, we generally will avoid junior employees who have no remote experience. And that's just because we want to set people up for, for success. And, and part of that involves like having someone sit next to them for at least a couple days, onboarding them, making sure that anytime they have a question or they get stuck or whatever, uh, we're, we're able to, to answer that and unblock them really quickly. Like ideally someone that, that comes on board uh, should be able to work their first feature and open up a merge request by the end of the second day. Uh, we, we really value uh, close feedback cycles and and getting people into that groove of, you know, pull a card, start working on it, go through QA, open a merge request, onto the next thing, um, just breaking it down into to small chunks. Um, all that being said, uh, there's there's definitely drawbacks to remote. Like I have not found a substitute for having everyone in the same room with a white whiteboard. Um, that is just not something that I, I think exists right now. We've tried a lot of different technical solutions. So sometimes we will have like a kickoff meeting and we'll try to get everyone into the office or, or as many people as possible and have maybe one or two people dial in who are just in another state. And you know, we, we also believe that's important to uh, bring the whole team in 
in person together just for some in-person bonding time celebrations team activities and and build those uh personal relationships that you don't get as much um when when all you you interact with someone is, is through code or email or slack or something like that yeah there's a lot there right so much to unpack in the, the whole cultural thing you know maybe if i could paraphrase and i have seen people do you know sort of really deliberate hybrid and they'll even like literally set up workstations where there's an always on zoom connection to that person's desk and you have to like walk over there and talk to their zoom channel or, you know, but I think it does take like that real intentionality of like you said, dog fooding, right? Like, so not only dog food, the solution, but dog food, the experience of being remote and each workstation being, you know, a remote office, even if they are kind of all next to each other and you're right, like tremendous uh, change. But I think, you know, tech leads now are just simply going to have to deal with that, particularly in, in places where, you know, hiring is just, you know, off the charts, like, like in New York or San Francisco, there's a lot of people struggling with this and just kind of, wow, like we never anticipated we'd have open recs for a year and that, you know, we just don't have enough engineers. So uh, yeah, critical time, you know, big, big changes. Well, Matthew, totally appreciate you sharing your story. You know, it's, it's really cool. And I know a lot of people go through that stuff and maybe don't express it so well. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking with you. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch. And we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.